a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fan Effect Podcast brought to you by Larry H. Miller Megaplex Theaters. What's it like to sell quarter of a billion books? Today's guest on Fan Effect is international best-selling author Jeff Kinney, who you may have seen his books or seen the movies based on his books. Jeff is actually coming to Utah on part of his tour. He agreed to take a few minutes to chat with me while he promotes his newest book in the Diary of a Wimpy Kid Universe. Jeff, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, we're excited to talk with you. Have you first of all, have you ever been to Utah before? I have, actually. You know, I spent a lot of time working with a big team in Utah for years and years. Uh, we created a website called Pop Tropica, uh, which I'm really proud of. And, and I had some of my my closest friends and best workers all over Utah. Well, tell me a little bit then about your uh, latest book, Rowley Jefferson's Awesome, Friendly, Spooky Stories. Yeah, that's a mouthful, isn't it? When you when you say it like that, I'm like, <laughs> boy, did I give that thing too long of a title? Um, Rowley Jefferson's Awesome, Friendly, Spooky Stories is a collection of short stories, scary stories, but not so much. Uh, more funny than scary written from the perspective of Greg Hefley's best friend, Rally Jefferson. And Greg is the, the, the protagonist of the Wimpy Kid series. Now, is Greg also the villain of the scary part of the scary stories? <laughs> he can be at times. You know, he, he pops in here and there. He's always got a different name, like Gabe or, you know, Gavin or something like that. So I mask it a, l- a little bit. But it was really fun to kind of slip him in, in and out of the book. So it's short stories rather than a narrative, this one. Yeah, it is different than my regular Wimpy Kid books, uh, which are, you know, pretty straightforward, whole stories. Um, This one's got a lot of variety. I've got a story about a mummy, a story about uh, a vampire, uh, and on and on. Uh, All the things that you'd expect in a a book of scary stories. But not too scary, because what age are you aiming it at? I am aiming it at, uh, I would say, 8 to 12 is the sweet spot of the Wimpy Kid books. Okay. I I just remember in fourth grade, our teacher read us scary stories to tell in the dark. And (laughs) as a boy, that was awesome. But he told one, the story of the big toe. And when he got to the part where there's a jump part and he stomps his foot and one girl just burst into tears in the class. (laughs) Probably not that that scary, I'm guessing. No, that, you know, that book, it's funny that you mentioned, I just wrote an essay uh, about that, that book, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Um, it really left, left a mark on a whole generation of, of kids. It's, it's a book that, that is, uh, it's, it's, it's really great, you know, and it's telling, but 
the artwork especially is just so ghostly and ghastly. It feels like it's from another world. It's, you know, it's all done in charcoal and, you know, most kids can tell you about most, most people who grew up in our generation could tell you about hearing those stories or reading those stories when we were younger. I took my 16-year-old, she's now 16, but uh, I took her to see the movie adaptation a couple of years ago. And uh, I don't like scary stories. I, I don't like watching horror. I don't like that kind of stuff on a no. personal level. But, you know, I review movies. And so I took her to see that. And she begged to go, begged to go. And then one of the movies or one of the stories was um, bugs come out of the face. And she's so terrified of spiders. She's sitting there in the chair, curled up in the fetal position. And I'm like, tell me again why you begged to come see this. You know, I was really curious about that movie. Of course, I wanted to see how it all translated, but I was too scared. I did not. I didn't want to see it. It's been a long time since I've been scared by a movie or film or something like that, and and I just I don't need it in my life. You know, I don't need I understand to be completely. scared of the dark anymore. <laughs> Well, Jeff, you'll be in Utah this weekend at the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City on Sunday, March 21st, and at the Book Bungalow in St. George on Monday, March 22nd. But these appearances aren't just your standard meet and sign events, are they? No, they're very unusual, actually. There are drive-through events um, for the pandemic age. Um, so we've created this this uh, experience where, where families drive through in their cars and they go through uh, kind of almost like an outdoor haunted house. They'll weave their cars through the woods. We've got fog machines. We've got giant spiders. We've got uh, zombies, all sorts of things, sound effects. Um, so, you know, it's a it's a three or four minute experience. And then at the end of it, I'm dressed as a grave digger. Uh, and I hand the book off by a shovel so that we can keep a safe distance. And uh, it, it feels like the way to go in, in these, uh, you know, in these, in these times. No, that's a clever way to do it. Do you pre-soil the book with dirt also, or is it actually a clean <laughs> shovel? Okay. <laughs> you know what? It's funny. It's a dirty shovel. It really is. <laughs> but it, it's, it's like molded clay or something like that. Oh, I so see. I, I, and I'm slipping this, like, dirty shovel into the, somebody's car. I'm sure, it's, you know. The moms are like, don't you dare let so. that thing fall on my car. <laughs> That's right. I'm just trying not to scrape anybody's windshield. It, in fact, last tour, um, we did something called the deep end, deep end drive-through tour. And at the very end, I would launch a water balloon at the uh, back of uh, you know the person's car, which always got a laugh. And uh, once or twice, I accidentally landed a balloon inside the car through the sunroof. And, and one time, I wiped out their uh, GPS panel, you know, their car the whole electronic system for the oh, car. Wow. And uh, I ended up paying for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good thing you've sold a lot of books then, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, Jeff, we're a show about fandoms, and we love our Fanex Salt Lake Comic Convention every year, year here in September. Is it really true that you signed your first book deal at a Comic-Con? Yeah, I, I didn't sign it there, but I met my editor there. Um, so I went to New York Comic Con years ago. I think it must have been, gosh, 2006. And I brought a sample packet with me of the, the work that I'd been working on for eight years and showed an editor there just the first page. And he, he said, uh, this is exactly what we're looking for, and this is why we came here. Uh, so I went from uh, from really not thinking I'd ever get published to having this big breakthrough moment at a Comic Con. That's like the dream story, right, for somebody? You go to the Comic-Con and it's, you find the the thing that goes on to be what you were dreaming of. 
yeah. And it's funny because I think I was very naive about those kinds of events at the time. Um, it's a consumer-facing event. You know, they're not really looking for submissions. Or right. They're looking to get like you that. to buy their stuff. <laughs> yeah. So here I was walking around with this packet, you know, it's a, a little bit ignorant about the way this thing worked. And, uh, but I thought it was a good idea. So, you know, and luckily for me, it was. What was it like the first time you saw your picture on the back cover of a book? Oh, gosh, I never have put my picture on the back cover of a book. Really? <laughs> because I still have, yeah, I still have, you know, scars from Shel Silverstein, uh, you know, growing up. Uh, <laughs> Not looking like yeah, you imagined. But, yeah, yeah, I don't I don't want to scare any, any kids with my picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I think in somewhere in Japan, somewhere where the culture really dictates that, uh, I think my picture is on the inside flap of the, you know, of the, of the book or something like that. But I like to keep my pictures off of books and out of circulation as much as I can, because I think that it, it, sometimes it kind of ruins it for a kid to know what the author looks like. They, you know, it, it's better for them to think this book is coming from Greg Hefley and not Jeff Kinney. That's a good point. That is a good, I mean, you're dealing in a medium that is designed to get the imagination to, to picture the things that you're describing. So that, I, I could see that, how that makes sense. Yeah, at first we actually thought I, I didn't want my name on the cover at all. Um, but then I realized that everybody would call me Greg Hefley for the rest of my life. Um, but the same with the rally books is that I, I thought it would be better to have just Rally's name on it. But my name's there, just really small. Well, we're going to hopefully we're going to circle back to the question about what you imagine versus what you see. Uh, but I am curious, is there a, you, you've sold over 250 million copies of your books around the world. Is there a term for somebody who sells a certain number of their books? I mean, I know in music you can like go gold or platinum or multi-platinum, but what about the literary world? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't, I don't think there is a, a term for that. There, there might be. If I, if I, you know, in Germany, I think that if you sell a certain number of books, they, you know, they'll certify you as some, you know, as some sort of gold or platinum or something like that. But I don't think so in the United States. Well, maybe they could come up with something like you got papyrus or, or copy paper level <laughs> yeah. and cardstock. Jeff Kinney's latest book has gone certified cardstock. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. Does does being a best-selling author mean you lose some anonymity in day-to-day life? No, I have um, I, I have really the best of both worlds because I'm, you know, the kid kids know who I am or kids who are readers of mine know who I am and they might even know what I look like despite my best efforts. <laughs> um, but they, I really, um, I live in a little town called Plainville in Massachusetts and, and I go about my you know day and shop at Target and all that. It's very rare that uh, somebody recognizes me. So maybe, maybe twice a year um, somebody will recognize me in an odd place, uh, but that's about it. So I, I feel like I have a good, um, there's a good balance there. In what way is being a quote unquote New York Times bestselling author, you know, that big title, in what way is being that different than maybe what you imagined it would be back in the day? That's a great question. You know, I never hoped to become a New York Times bestseller. I didn't really have it on my radar. I didn't really think it was possible. And at the time, I also didn't know about all the different lists that you can, you know, that you could get on. So in a way, it's sort of like, um, you know, there's so many lists that it, there could be like, a, you know, a, like Christian baking list or something like that, you know, something <laughs> very finely sliced. So, uh, you know, a lot of people have a really good shot at getting on a New York Times bestseller list because there's just so many of them. 
Um, and so I, you know, I'm on the middle grade or children's middle grade list, but I, I really was kind of ignorant about that as well. So I, I didn't come into it with any kind of an expectation. Okay. Well, then I guess then there's you can't be disappointed or surprised, I guess, in that case. Right. right. I, I did think that when I got on it, I, you know, I, there's 10 slots on my list, and I got on it at number seven, and then I went eight, nine, and then, of course, I thought that I was going to get off the list. And then it, um, I thought, okay, well, at my high school reunion, this is what I'll say. I'm a New York Times bestselling author. You know, that, that felt like, uh, you know, pretty good to me. So, um, you know, and, and then it, and then the book kind of rebounded and it stayed on it for a long time. So it's, uh, I, I think I'll still use that line at my high school reunion if I ever go. <laughs> if you ever go. <laughs> well, they would recognize you there probably. You, you know, I don't know. I, I sort of slipped through all of my schooling sort of anonymously in a way. And I, I think that's the way of a writer is that, that, you know, you're kind of more of an observer than a participant. So I wasn't like widely known at my high school. I, I, I doubt, you know, nine out of 10 kids probably wouldn't recognize me. Um, you know, so I, I really don't. Uh, and also it's an all boys school, which is one of the reasons I'm not going back to my reunion. Okay. <laughs> um, <so. laughs> That's how it goes. Well, since we're talking about school, what made you want to tell the story of a scrawny junior high kid? I uh, I was a scrawny junior high kid, and it's the only world I really know. Um, and I, I just think that a lot of funny things happen to everybody, and in, in that if you you know just take the time to write those things down, uh, everybody would love to hear your story. You know, everybody's story should be told in some form. Um, so the stories in Diary of Wimpy Kid aren't, aren't extraordinary. Greg is not going to a wizarding school or, you know, he's not the son of a Greek god or anything like that. Uh, he's just a regular kid, lots of flaws, um, just like me as a kid. And, and I just wanted to tell those stories. Have you mined your own children's experiences for content now that you've gotten going for a while? I mean, I'm sure you drew on your own as you wrote it at first, but have you ever mined your own kids' experience? You have teenagers now, right? Or maybe early 20s? I do. Yeah. I do. Uh, less less than you'd think, actually. I th- I'd say probably there's a grand total of maybe five or six jokes in, in all of the Wimpy Kid books that came from my kids' experience. But what having kids allowed me to do is to see childhood again and, and you know, have that experience again um, through fresh eyes. So I think that that, in this ambient sort of way, kept things fresh for me. Uh, kept things, uh, you know, kept, kept childhood going. And I'm a little bit worried about what happens once they're, once they're out of the house. <laughs> well, I've got kids age. I have one that just graduated high school and I've got uh, twins that are in second grade. So I've got the whole, and my oldest, <laughs> my oldest loved the Diary of a Wimpy Kid series. In fact, oh, it, cool. I think it was the first series that he ever wanted to own the whole thing of. And we actually had to say, oh, as he got cool. older, like, Son, we need you to read some books that have more words and fewer pictures. But he loved them and he still has them. And that's not one that he'll give to his younger siblings as they've gotten old. He may let him read it, but he's not going to let him have it. So we'll have to get a second set for, for the younger boy. And the next question are about your kids. Have they ever told you that their junior high experience was anything like what happens in your books? I think most kids are relieved that the experiences of, of a true middle school experience are not like the Wimpy Kid books. 
I think a, a lot of kids get, you know, scared. They read my books and think there are bullies in the hallways and, you know, it's, it's like a jungle. Um, so I, I think that, you know, everything in my books is sort of comically exaggerated. And, and um, so I don't think it's, it's really that true to life. That's good. Cause you and I both know that there's a whole bunch of people our age that wondered if high school was like pretty in pink and the breakfast club and right. better off dead. Yeah. Uh, so it's good to know that it, you get there and you're like, oh, it's actually fairly normal. That's that's nice. Right. Uh, yeah. now, I asked my kids if they could ask you a question, what would it be? And my 16-year-old daughter wanted me to ask you if the character Fregley was based on someone you actually knew. <laughs> uh, no, Fregley is not based on somebody I, I knew, but I there. There always seems to be a Fregley in the neighborhood, and I think how you know Fregley is this kind of strange kid who who, who uh, marches to the beat of his own drum, and I, I got the idea for Fregley. I remember in middle school I, I was uh, in a uh, bus and we were going by some kid's house, and this kid was uh, stabbing a kite with a stick in his front yard. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea why, but I I just thought that was such a strange. Uh, you know, vision of this kid, like <laughs> sort of going a little crazy, <laughs> stabbing up, you know, a kite with a stick. And, and so I think I actually put that joke in, in the book. It was just like a little bit unsettling. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. So I'm going to call this the Simpsons question, okay? Okay. Part of where Diary of a Wimpy Kid came from was you did the the drawings and the stories combined. So what yeah. do your original drawings of the Hefleys look like compared to how they look now as you draw them? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I actually, they they look almost exactly the same. And there's a reason for that. And it's it's partially because of the Simpsons is that if you, let's say right now, you turn on you know, Fox and, and The Simpsons was on, and it was one of the first two seasons, you'd kind of find it unwatchable because the characters don't look like they should, and then they don't speak like they should either because the creators hadn't quite found their groove. And it usually takes a few years for, for that to happen in any creative endeavor. Peanuts is the same and many other comics. And I really didn't want to do that. I, I really wanted my stuff to look consistent. And so I, you know, that's, that's how it is, is that wimpy kid from the very beginning, um, you know, all the characters look the same, at least their heads do. And, um, and, and so you won't get that feeling of, you know, reading an early wimpy kid book that, you know, that my, my drawings progressed a lot or the characters changed. Okay. I was kind of thinking your actual initial sketches that you just did on like notepads when you were first ah. coming up with the idea, but it is good. I, I, it makes perfect sense what you're saying. Cause it's true. You watch the Tracy Ullman Simpsons and 
They just yeah. they don't look right. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, my early sketches, I, it, it took me about a year to get the characters right. So I just think it would have been sort of malformed heads, like not, not very <laughs> precise looking, you know, a, a, just a little bit, uh, you know, out of whack, I guess you could say. What's the weirdest criticism you've ever gotten from a parent about your books? I don't think there's anything worth criticizing in your books that I've read. So, I, <laughs> But I'm sure, because of the world we live in, that you get some. And I was just curious, what's the weirdest criticism you can think of you got from about your books? That's interesting. Um, you know, today I got uh, something where uh, there, there's a storyline in which uh, Greg, in this new book, is um, he's pretending to be possessed by a demon because he's just watched a movie about a possession. And so he's just trying to scare Rowley and Rowley um, is really uh, frightened by this. Right. And it's the, the joke is that Greg is just faking it and, and the reader can see that. And I just got somebody today that, um, you know, that uh, complained about that and said, I don't, I don't approve of this subject matter. And it's like, I, I get it, but I, but Greg's also clearly pretending. So it's, uh, you know, that's just fresh on my mind right now is that, Okay. <laughs> you know, that kind of a thing. I just didn't know if they're like, well, I just think that uh, Greg's too rude to, to rally, and I don't want my kids to learn <laughs> how to be rude. I didn't know if that was something that you'd get. Yeah, that happens. And, it, it, you know, it's fair. I, I think Greg is kind of a complicated character. and He's, he, he, he's a lot like I was. As always heroic. And, you know, I, I didn't always, I wasn't always the best friend to my best friend. And so I was just trying to do something that felt real to me. And, you know, I am not setting Greg up, Greg up as a, a role model. So I do get that criticism from time to time. Well, I noticed that in the movies a little bit. I, I kind of thought that at least when the adaptations of the movies, which I actually wanted to talk about here in just a sec, but uh, I sometimes thought that, like, why is Rowley even Greg's friend at this point after some of these things? Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, you know, that's why I've um, spun off this Rally series is because Rally really is the hero of the Wimpy Kid books. He's he's a kid who's a pure kid. He's sort of in, incorruptible despite Greg's best efforts. And he is... Uh, With you friends know, he's, like he's these who needs kid. enemies. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's a pure kid and, and uh, I like him. He's a good counterpoint to Greg. So how much of an active role did you have in the movie adaptations of your books? In the in the feature films, um, I was very involved. It's a little bit complicated because in that world, you don't have approval. You ju- you just have a, a voice, and so I'd win some battles and I'd lose some battles, and and it was. Uh, but I was I was at the center of the process, and so I got you know I, I, my voice was heard a lot. And then um, the, uh, we're working on something for Disney right now, animated features. And that's totally different. It's um, I'm a I'm a full producer, and um, you know every everything that shows up on screen and every line by every actor, I, I get to have a have a hand in and a say in, and it's um, it's really wonderful as a creator. And that's because it's original, as opposed to an adaptation. It's, yeah, it's actually no, it is actually an adaptation again. It's just that it's an animated feature, and, and television's different because it. Uh, it in television, the writer is king, as they say. In film, the director is king. So it's a different kind of medium. Ah, interesting. What did it feel like the first time you saw your characters brought to life? Like, not now they're not just pencil drawings anymore. They're actually somebody speaking the lines with a voice and 
alive. Yeah, is um, is odd and scary uh, in a way because it's it's so different, you know, from what's on the page. So the the viewer has to take this big leap of faith. You know, they have to kind of t- take a leap from the page to the real, uh, you know, the real live actor. Uh, but I thought those those kids, especially, um, did such a great job of of inhabiting those characters, uh, especially Robert Capron, who plays Rally, because he he really was Rally at the time. And that's what I was going to say because I saw the movies before I had a chance to read any of the books. So Rowley is that actor in my mind as I read. Even when I see the drawings, I picture the kid and he did he nailed that that's part of the reason i felt so much sympathy for him was like why are you such a nice kid and why do you continue to be friends with greg although i know at one point after i think the country club episode he, he stops being friends with him for a little bit but um, <laughs> yeah. but I, yeah to me I, and this is just me i found that whatever you do first is probably what ends up being your favorite because that's what imprints on you the first time but also yeah. for me, if I find out they're going to make something into a movie ever, I want to at least see yeah. who the actors are so that I don't go through all the trouble of imaging. Or, you know, <laughs> I, think, I think of the first time that I read The Firm, and I was glad that I read The Firm after I'd heard that Tom Cruise was going to be in it because then I could just picture Tom Cruise the whole time and I didn't have a whole different uh, picture <laughs> of what Mitch McDeer looked like and then see Tom Cruise. <laughs> You know, fairly or unfairly, that was the big complaint about Jack Reacher was that Tom Cruise looked nothing like everybody imagined. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because that's not the first time that's happened with him. He he was the vampire Lestat in, uh, you know, in oh, interview, interview with, with the vampire. vampire. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Anne Rice, uh, yeah, she made, she she was very vocal about not being happy about that. And then she had to take out a full page ad in the, in the New York Times saying that she was on board with it. So <laughs> kind of a funny thing. I'm guessing that the studio had something to do with that. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> Well, uh, so you feel like the movie's got the spirit and humor of your books, right? Then, yeah, I do. Um, I'm I'm eager to see it on the on the animated uh, on the television screen, though, because I think you know an animated 3D version is is going to be inherently closer to the source material. Um, so I'm just hoping that people like it. That's a good point. Do you get to voice anybody in that? Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't actually this time. I I did a little bit in the in the feature films, and uh, I didn't do such a great job of acting. <laughs> um, but n- nothing in this one. I'm not voicing anybody in this one. Awesome. And what, do you have a premiere date for that, or is it just still in process? It is uh, sometime this year. I think I, I have something in mind, but I'm, I'm not allowed to say it yet. Yeah, well, Disney, with Disney, I do not want you to get in trouble with Disney. They are very, <laughs> yeah. very strict about that, I've seen. <laughs> yeah. The long arm of Mickey Mouse. You know, you got to be careful. <laughs> But that's great, though. And I actually think that the uh, animated side, can you, have they announced any of the cast? I mean, can you say anything about that? I, I didn't know about the animated series, or I would have done some background research, but uh, has anybody been cast? Yeah. They haven't, but I will say this. There are some uh, legendary television actors in it, uh, people you'd remember from the 70s, from some really big sitcoms. So you'll oh. have to dwell on that for a little while. Okay, I like it. Well, Jeff Kinney, thank you so much for taking time uh, to uh, to chat with me today. Uh, you're going to be again in the, the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City Sunday, March 21st, and at the Book Bungalow in St. George on Monday, March 22nd. The newest book is Rowley Jefferson's Awesome, Friendly, Spooky Stories. And if you just get the copy, then you don't have to remember the long title. So that's probably the best way to do it, right? 
I think so. Yeah, thanks for your great questions. This was really fun for me. All right, Jeff. Well, thanks. We look forward to uh, seeing more from you. And I'm watching that animated series, and uh, it's going straight to Disney Plus, or is it going to the Disney Channel? It's going to Disney Plus. I bet you my 19-year-old's even going to be willing to sit down and watch that. He's more Roderick's age now than Greg's age. but uh... Right. <laughs> well, thank you, Jeff, well, so much. Again. Appreciate it, and, and best of luck to you. Okay. Take care. You too. Thanks again to Jeff Kinney, best-selling author of the Diary of a Wimpy Kid book series, movie series, and now apparently about to become a, T- a Disney Plus animated series. Hey, we're so glad to have you on the Fan Effect podcast. We invite you to check out some of our other episodes. All episodes are available on Spotify, kslnewsradio.com, the KSL News Radio app, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. We invite you to uh, check out a few episodes, see what you think, become a subscriber, or join us on our social media accounts at Fan Effect Show. That's E-F-F-E-C-T on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'll catch you at the next episode. I'm Andy Farnsworth. Thanks for listening. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.